0: Welcome to Diary of an Unemployed Actor, with me, Milo Dennison. Each week I speak with up-and-coming actors, actresses, and filmmakers about the entertainment industry. We discuss success, failure, and share a few tips to inspire those of you who have a passion for the creative arts. This week, I'm speaking with Jason Henry. He is primarily a voiceover actor, and you can definitely tell it from this conversation that we have. I didn't realize till the end of the conversation that he was actually dialing in from his phone, and uh, you really couldn't tell. You would have thought he was using a proper uh, microphone. And in talking to him, it's good to listen where he kind of talks about some of the ups and downs of the business, which is, you know, sometimes people are looking for your voice, and sometimes they're not looking for your voice and you just kind of got to go with the flow. We also spend a decent amount of time just uh, chatting about movies and the industry and what it is about certain actors and performers that make them good or their dedication to the role. Uh, So it's not uh, your typical question and answer type interview that I do for this show. It's more of just kind of two guys having a chat about filmmaking. But uh, it's also full of a lot of really good information, especially if you're looking in to get into voiceover and um, just kind of feel encouraged about that. Even though uh, people might be SAG-AFTRA members, doesn't necessarily mean that they're instantly getting work and they're instantly rowing in auditions and offers and uh, big budget action flicks that uh, even sag after members are still kind of struggling in a lot of ways. Uh, So as always, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: All right. So what do you uh, just to ask you, what are you um, setting the foundation of your of this podcast around? Or is it just you talking to another unemployed actor like yeah. like the, like the title says <laughs> that's because, pretty I much mean, it. right now? OK, all right. That's cool. Because yeah, I mean, the struggle is definitely real right now for me as far as with the you know, I'm a voiceover actor. I am through SAG. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's I mean, <laughs> might as well say I'm non-union right now because to find work is. I mean, you gotta, you gotta get creative. You have to be resourceful. And I mean, there's, there's only so many SAG actors out there. And I mean, everybody thinks because you're SAG, you're automatically making money like Denzel Washington or Tom Cruise. And I just laugh at that notion because it's, it's, I almost look at it like, because I'm a big fan and a big MMA and kickboxing or boxing enthusiast. And I look at it the same way I look at at professional athletes or fighters. It's like, when you're an undercard fighter, everybody thinks because you're a pro boxer, you're making money like Floyd Mayweather. It's like, yeah, yeah, not really. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to build up a record. You have to, you know, have a reputation, be marketable. And then the money comes, you know, it doesn't just happen overnight. You have to, you know, you have to build a brand around yourself and you have to constantly sell yourself. And then of course, find the thing that someone else, uh, isn't doing that. you That's your niche. And then hone in on that and then become what you, you know, you become what you wish to become and you you hopefully end up doing the things that, you know, you want to do, you know, with that, with the brand that you've created for yourself, you know?
0: Well, that's the thing. Like people think, oh, you're in SAG, you're in, but it's really just means you did enough to get into SAG so that now that you're paying the dues, so it just makes you eligible, you know, more eligible for SAG gigs, but it doesn't necessarily get you any more work.
1: Right. Matter of fact, it actually limits your work because because you're in SAG now, you're in competition with, you know, so you're gunning for the probably the same part or the same position that everyone else is gunning for. And, you know, at times it's it can be unfortunate because it's the same rat race with non-union. Of course, you're not as protected. You know, you don't have as many, you know, you're not in a union or anything like that. But as a non-union or as I would look at it, like amateur status or whatever, like that, you're building a record for yourself. You're building your resume and you're getting the experience that you need. And it doesn't necessarily mean you can't get representation. You can, you know, I had an agency before I got sick and, uh, you know, I was blessed enough. I'm blessed enough to still be with them right now, but due to the pandemic and then due to the fact of, you know, this weather, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of slowed a lot of stuff down. You know, it really just kind of limits your, the opportunities for you to kind of go out there and, and, and do it. I mean, you definitely have to get resourceful. You definitely have to, you know, find a way where, okay, if the agency can't do that for you and I'm sorry, did you start the show already or. Yeah, we're, we're
0: right in it. No problem. Yeah. Oh, no, okay. no, no, no. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I usually like, hey. kind of instigate
0: it, but you went straight into it, so I'm like, "heck yeah, let him talk, man." That's great. Okay,
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's 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 literally like that. I mean, I've had to I, what I've done uh, within the past few months is definitely uh, called a lot of uh, advertising marketing agencies and just tried to see if they're looking for a voice. And what's funny about it is that you know, voice uh, voice acting is is cool it's uh it's definitely hit i want to say on the it's on the cusp of hitting mainstream uh especially with successful shows going back as far as i don't know how old you are i'm not gonna guess uh you sound like a mature dude so i'm gonna get i'm, I'm gonna maybe assume you you heard about the tracy Ullman show
0: yep yep, and, yep. I know uh, and
1: yep. you remember the one minute skits that the simpsons mm-hmm. used to be on and i yep. only remember me and my my older brother would we would we loved watching cartoons, especially cartoons we could watch after, you know, the afternoon times and see at time hours like seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night or something like that to, to catch a cartoon and growing up in my era after hours, after, you know, when the sun was out, that was awesome to me. So to see this one minute skit on this uh, improv show that you know at the time she was you know she was hitting it really big and you know also she was a foreigner you know coming over here hitting the mainstream on Fox television that yeah. was a big deal and so we saw this one minute skit and we didn't know what the heck it was you know uh but you know we saw this kid, little kid with a spiked hair we saw this overweight dad with a bald head and he's playing catch with him and they're just having these like these fun, funny little one minute schemes. And it wasn't very like well drawn cartoons, but it was just something fun to watch. And then next thing you know, they're doing a spinoff. And it's like coming from the Tracy Ullman show, you know, you have The Simpsons. So shows like that, Archer, um, I believe there was an older one, Dr. Katz or something like that. Uh, then there was a, a C-Lab 2020 or Mystery Theater or something like that. Oh, yeah. With the, with those three, uh, the guys talking I to the screen thing. Yeah, the guys yeah. that pretty much were talking throughout the entire film and stuff like that. Uh, I think it was a Mystery Science Theater three thousand or something yep. like that. Or yeah. I don't know if it was one of the creators or both of the creators that actually came from uh, the Mystery Science Theater that were that created Archer. Mm. And, uh, they, you know, that's on FX and it's been going on. I mean, what, 10, what yeah, now, quite a few 10 years, seasons man. I love, yeah. love that show. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with it. I just watched the, uh, the one where Archer finally wakes up from his coma for three years. And, uh-huh. I uh, haven't you know, it. he's kind of, yeah, he's back in the mix. Uh, okay. I won't ruin it for yeah, you. Don't ruin it. Cause th-
0: yeah, I know that's the new season and I haven't
1: seen it. I haven't <laughs> seen the new season yet. i I actually i literally just bought it on youtube because i was like i'm watching all of this i can literally watch this in one day and i I ended up doing the same thing so yeah it was it was pretty fun to watch but yeah they definitely always change things up which i love it's funny that
0: that you mentioned it because you're talking about voiceover and that's an interesting example is archer because the main guy that does archer he really sounds like that versus most voiceover work so you mentioned the simpsons to where like one person does maybe the voice of like, you know, three or four characters on the Simpsons.
1: Seth MacFarlane, yeah, like Family Guy. Family Guy, exactly, does all the voices. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Or Seth Green. Uh Seth Green doesn't sound like Seth Green when he's on the Family Guy. Not at all. For his character. Yeah. He's like complete, like 180 from, you know, the Seth Green I know from the Buffy the Vampire Slayer days and, you know, um, the movies that he's done, like Enemy of the State when he's playing some I don't want to call him a computer geek, but he was definitely a tech guy in the film or whatever like that. A part of where I think working for the government or whatever. And, you know, just the, the, from the small roles to the lead roles that he had and stuff like that, I never would have guessed it was Seth. I never, and then you go even further back to, I want to say my era, the eighties and the nineties uh, when I used to watch Transformers, the guy who does Optimus Prime, I'm like, oh my God, I never would have guessed that his voice that, or that, that, that kind of range of voice came from that guy. Cause when you see the guy, he's not a big muscular, you know, menacing figure. He's this, you know, elderly age guy, but the voice uh, the voice he has is so powerful and so moving. It's like, geez, man, that dude, like he can move mountains with that voice, you know? Um, yeah, it was, uh, uh, that that was and that was also a funny time because you know as a kid you you look at the cartoons back when i was growing up and you didn't even think a job like that was possible it's like you know you're just into the cartoon you forget that there's a, there are voices behind it those are actors doing that but the work wasn't as um prominent or dominant as it, as it is now or just like you know definitely comic-con you 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 definitely see a um uh, you know, a huge amount of followers in, in whatever genre of cartoons or or TV shows that, you know, have voiceovers in it. And mainly, of course, the anime or or even, you know, the cartoons we have here in America that whether they crossed over or they were developed here. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely a huge following for that. Uh, but well, there's, um, I don't uh, know if you... No, go ahead. Go ahead. There's,
0: there's probably... And there's a lot more opportunity now too because you've got one... Animation is done on a computer now versus, you know, stills being drawn so they can actually, you know, crank out more of it. But you have there's more places to see animation between cable TV and video on demand and, you know, Hulu and Netflix and all that kind of stuff. So it seems like there's a lot more opportunity now for voiceover artists than, say, 20 years ago where it was a much smaller
1: club to be a voiceover artist absolutely but it's still you know still i'm listen I'm still at the foundation where I'm still trying to break in mm-hmm. you know I've had some success with having some jobs uh here and there within the you know I've been a voiceover actor for almost it's going on four years now and i want to say the first two years it was like it was beautiful i didn't it it wasn't like in the beginning I had to go through the struggle it was actually complete opposite it was like it it was starting it came to me not easy, but it just started, you know, kind of like coming to me in a way where it was like, man, you know, it seems like it's going to last forever. You know, I wasn't cutting six figure checks. Thank God. Cause I should probably be in therapy or something like that <laughs> crying. Uh, but, but uh, I can definitely say that with some of the commercials that I've done and, you know, and, and the work that I was doing, I was like, man, I could get used to this. I could really get used to it. And then of course, even before the pandemic, I want to say my third year was, it got rough, you know, because it's, it's funny. It's like when they're in the market for a certain type of voice. Yeah. They want you, you're hot when that dies out or there's just, just, there's just literally no work. And then the pandemic hit, it was just like, I started asking myself those questions, like, do I really need an agent? (laughs) 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 Do I really need an agent? Like they haven't called me in months or, you know, you're, you're, you're literally be, you have to get resourceful. You have to try to find ways to, I mean, I felt in some ways I felt like I wasn't represented anymore and that's no, not to discredit my agency, but it's just, it felt like everything stood still. And you start asking those age old questions that I'm sure everybody's crossed with it as a working actor, period. Is this going to work out for me? Am I going to find something? How am I going to pay this bill, pay these bills? Uh, what kind of work can I do? Is this when I get the job, how long am I going to do the job for? Is going to interfere when something pops up? Is something going to pop up? You know, and it's just like it, it's a it's a snowball effect of those of those question, of those constant questions that run through your head, even when you do have job security, you're saving your money, you're, you're, you're still able to get, get through your day to day. But, but at the, in the back of your mind, it's like, was it about the money And it? Surely, but surely you realize I'm doing it because I love it. I'm doing it because I'm passionate about it. But is that going to, is my passion ever going to come back? Is it, is it ever going to come back to the point where the jobs will be plentiful and you know, I'll actually have more of a, a better appreciation for it this time. Or did I miss my window? Is it all? Always- yeah, it's
0: a crazy stressful in- industry that p- I don't think people outside realize because you're unemployed or you're working or mm-hmm. you're unemployed again. And right. that is literally just spend, you spend your unemployment time trying to find that next gig, knowing at literally. some point that gig's going to end and you're going to be unemployed right. again. So there's a real lack of stability in it that you need to be able to handle in order to do the job. It's not just showing up and saying your lines and then going in, you know, doing interviews on, you know, on, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a talk show host. or Like <laughs> on, on, You're not doing an interview on Jimmy Kimmel or whatever, you know, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're constantly right. struggling to get that next gig. And you're right. Like it, it, it rotates too. like what's in and what's not in. And, and you, you know, sometimes you're in and sometimes you're not in.
1: Right. And, it, and, you know, the other thing is, is that the, I think that's why we salute the actors that's been able to hang, even the actors that we don't think that can, you know, that, that had, don't have the chops, you know, you still got to respect him for the fact that, Hey, he's been able to stay around this long. He's been able to, you know, he's been able, he or she has been able to land these gigs. And sometimes, you know, you see it, there's some, some actors, I'm not going to say any names, but <laughs> you you see some actors that where well, they're, they're around for their looks yeah. and their look is the look that, you know, you, they'll probably even they'll, they'll take care of that person so much to the point where they'll, they'll give that person acting coaches or it'll be a flip side. They may have no acting chops. But they got they have what they call, you know, the it factor. Yep. They have the the presence, they have the look, and they and then and then they're blessed enough to have enough real-world experience, as I'll call it, to interpret or incorporate some of their their past life uh, experience onto the screen. Because that I mean, you get to see that with a lot of actors, even who have had training where They just fit a role. They fit that one role so well because it's so close to who they truly are. Case in point, James Gandolfini, he's from Jersey. I believe it was his family uh, knew the the Travolta family because I, I think it was either the Travolta family had like a tire shop or something like that in Jersey and the Gandolfini family would go there to get their tires changed or something like that. The point I'm trying to make is, is when, when Jim Pitt played Tony, a guy who was originally from Jersey, it was, and then he came from that quintessential Italian upbringing. It was very easy for him to relate to Tony's character, as far as from the family perspective. Being from Jersey, the foundation was there. Yeah. So now you add into the fact that he's done what two, he did two, three years of Meisner. Uh, study and, and and acting training and, and actually going, you know, uh, uh, the fact that he was a uh, he got it. He went to Rutgers. He got his degree in communications. He he he, f- he found a way to become a nightclub manager at this uh, club. I don't know. where. I think it was in even New York or New Jersey. But the, the place was called Private Eyes and it was straight two nights a week gay two nights a week and then mixed up every other two nights after like it would be like that and because he had basically faked it till he made it uh kind of uh, attitude being a manager at this nightclub he saw a lot of interesting and i'll just say it street stuff mm-hmm. that in he in, he took with him he kind of took mental notes with him where he was able to play these characters that we saw like the quentin tarantino uh well, it was written by Quentin Tarantino. I believe it was, I forgot who the director was, but the really great movie, the, the, I want to say the, up the 21st, the 20th century, Bonnie and Clyde film true romance with, uh, oh, yeah. with, uh, Oh my gosh. Uh, Rose, Christian, uh, Slater. Uh, uh, Patric- Patric- Christian Slater, Christian Slater, uh, Patricia Arquette. And then it had all the cameo appearances of the up and comers. Sam Jackson was in it, yeah. Brad Pitt, uh, all those guys. And he, he was on the inside the actor's studio when he was talking to uh, uh, Jim and uh, about his about the character he played as the hitman. And he didn't, of course, he that's never right. Got to the I name totally
0: forgot that until you mentioned that you're right. He uh, was the
1: hitman in that. Yeah, he was the hitman in that, and he was a lot, a little bit slimmer. He also played in a bit another, younger, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He played in another film called I think it was Gina or Gia with. Um, Oh my God! She was married to Angelina Jolie. Is no, no, one? no, 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 not no, no, no. that one. Okay, uh, the one, the one where he he had a very small role in it, and uh, oh my God, I can't think of her name. Is that the one um, where
0: he was like a gay hitman?
1: No, no, no. I know which one you're talking. That's the Mexican with yeah, Brad the... Pitt and Julia Roberts. That's and right. Yeah. I think yeah, he he was gay in that. He was a gay hitman in that, but he wasn't really intimidated. He's actually some. No. He actually socialized with Julia and. You know and stuff like that in the film it, with his character and stuff mm-hmm. like that um which i found it, it was kind of like offbeat comedy to me or whatever yeah like yeah um I, I can't think of the name of the movie but hmm. uh not gia um because gia was angelina jolie she played the model yeah um, that's uh, i'm
0: so. not sure which one you're talking about either but either way he played he played a hitman. <laughs> like so so playing a hitman, working in it my thing here. Playing a hitman, working in a nightclub, being around that people, is able to kind of take from that and be and 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 not just kind of you know be it more so than just copy it. So doing a New Jersey right. accent, I mean, he can do a New Jersey. It's he's doing a New Jersey accent because because yeah. he knows a New Jersey accent. Whereas like if we're doing a New Jersey, New Jersey accent, you know, we're faking an accent and
1: hopefully getting by doing it, you know. Exactly. I mean, either that or we're taking a dialect course or, you know, a speech course, you know, getting a a coach to help or get someone that we can speak to. Because I believe um, it was Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is a well-ranged actor. And um, the the point I was going to make with him is he when he was in True Romance, uh, he played, you know, he's a white guy, but he's playing like he's black. Yep, And. He actually was able to get the um, the the slang and the dialect, uh, the speech of how to speak like that, because he was actually on the set of the the film and he heard some guys talking. I'm sure they were some brothers. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, yo, man, come, come, come over here. And he had him come into his trailer and he said, just talk. I just want you to talk. And he just recorded his voice. And that's he was able to pick up that nugget from him and that you know and that once again that was his acting chops where he was able to cuz you have great actors that are able to pick up the sound of something and pick up you know and able to interpret and incorporate that into their method of acting and and they're able to take it they don't need a coach they don't need a speech coach they don't need to i mean unless they're coming from the UK and they need to speak american or something like that but yeah. you know but uh for, for Gary Oldman's case, he was able to not only, you know, do, you know, do the American accent, but to actually speak in a certain way where it was just like, I mean, I could speak on about him all damn day. Excuse Dude, my language, but. Uh,
0: no, I'm with you, man. Gary Oldman is, I think, probably one of the greatest living actors because he can literally do anything. Yeah. I, I, uh, Christian Bale, I remember I was seeing something Ooh. and he was talking about asking Gary Oldman in uh, when Gary Oldman played um, uh, Churchill. And because you, you know, put the fat suit on and stuff like that, and, you know, Christian Bale, he feels the need to get fat for roles or lose all his weight for roles. And he, so he talked, he talks to Gary Oldman and he's like, so how'd you, how'd you put on the weight and stuff for, for Churchill? And Gary Oldman's like, I didn't, man, it was a fat suit. Like, <laughs> but he's so talented that he can, he can mm. do that and be believable at it. And, and it's funny right. watching an interview with him because his natural voice is so different from almost every character he plays.
1: Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can tell he works on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, De Niro was a, I want to say, he was, De Niro was definitely one of the first I saw who actually got into his role when he played, you know, uh, Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull when he gained over 60 pounds because they actually tried to put a fat suit on him. And he was, he was basically like, he looked, I think he looked in the mirror or something and he was like, this is not going to work. He said that the fat suit is not, I got to make this believable. So he literally went on an eating bench, you know, whatever he could have. Uh, I've seen a few actors do that. Uh, yeah. Christian Bale was definitely the extreme, the most extreme that I've seen next to De Niro. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as like, you know, weight changing and um, oh my God. Uh, well, he's apparently like got John-
0: health issues because of it now. I, I saw something about, about him and he was talking about putting <sighs> losing weight and putting on weight to the extreme that he does. Oh he's, he's got God. health issues now.
1: Well, I'm not surprised. Look at what he did <laughs> oh. in the, mo- the Machinist. And then he gained all that weight back for Batman. Yeah, It was just like, it was just, that's just too much. It's too much. Yeah. It, it it definitely puts a lot of stress on the body. No doubt. No, no, no question. You know, you know, and if they're doing it when they're young, it's a little bit easier for your body to bounce back. But he was already in his, because he was in his early late 20s early 30s between the time he did Batman Begins and the 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 Machinist or the Machinist yeah the Machinist, yeah. And, uh-huh. yeah the Machinist and stuff like that but by the time he did Terminator Salvation Vice and and all that when he started getting into his later years it's like all right i see what you're doing and then of course The Fighter when he lost weight again because he had to look like a drug addict yeah uh it was just like uh, it's just you you you're pushing it dude i respect you craft but I respect what you're doing. I always hailed you, but you're you're kind of putting your body in a pickle here. Yeah. You know. <laughs> 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 so, so, he's like, he's like one of those guys where it's like, okay, you're a little too dedicated. I need you to go home and just relax, you know. But you know, you, you see a lot of that. Matt Damon did it for saving uh saving private, not saving private Ryan, but for um uh the Meg Ryan film when she was supposed to be getting a her character who was supposed to be getting a uh, a medal. And it was Denzel Washington was in it. And he literally lost weight because he he was a drug addict. Mm-hmm. And uh he only ate chicken and a lemon. Um John Travolta gained weight for uh primary colors.
0: Uh um, Tom Hanks has done it a couple of times for uh castaway. Castaway yeah. and and uh, mm-hmm. Philadelphia was it Philadelphia? Yeah, Philadelphia. I think
1: Philadelphia. He lost weight because he was supposed to, you know, had AIDS and yeah. he was losing yeah. weight and losing his hair and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. But yeah, man. I mean, it's. <laughs> I mean, if I could just get to the level where I'm working, <laughs> let yeah. alone let alone losing weight and or 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 just you know gaining weight or gaining muscle and being an action hero. I mean, just to get there is a big enough task to, you know, and then when, even when you get there, it's like, okay, how long is my stay? Mm -hmm. You know? So it's, uh, it's always an up and down career. I think one of the the documentaries that I respected the most, I've watched it several times over the past. Oh my God. Six, seven years now is you're that guy in that thing. It's a, uh, it's an independent film that was made back in, I think it was like 2013, maybe 2012. And, I watched it on Netflix for a time that they had it on there. And it was basically all these actors that were not a listers. They're B list actors. They're all SAG though. And they basically went through this document. I think I forgot how many male actors that they were documenting, but each of them of course had their own different background of how they got into, you know, the game of acting and stuff like that. And they still do it. But, how hard it was for them to let alone break in the industry and just, they're still probably establishing themselves because they never like they're not a listers, but just to get steady work. Yeah. And then of course, what to do when you have a family, their choices for why they choose certain films. There was this one guy can't remember his name. He played in the Hills have eyes. He played one of the, you know, the the, the bad people, the, 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 the villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he said the only reason he did it was because he wanted to have a good reason behind it and his good reason behind it was sending his daughter through college. And so he was like, okay, this is a good reason for me doing this. I don't want my daughter to watch this film. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I want to work so I can he's like, okay, the only reason I'm doing this is, you know, cuz I want to put my child through college and it's a good reason. It's a, you know, that's the, uh, the perk of it for him. And then of course they had this one guy who lived like a, a hippie. They had no TV They had pretty much damn near no electricity in the house or something like that. But you know, they, all his children read books and they did stuff with, you know, family stuff for entertainment instead of video games and stuff like that. So they were, you know, very bohemian type lifestyle or whatever like that. It was just, it was just really fun. It's a fun movie to watch. It was a it was a fun movie to watch. I
0: have to check it out. That gu- the uh, gu- the guy who was in that is that what you just said it was?
1: No, no, no. You're that guy in that thing. You're just that. Just type that in. You're that guy in that thing. And another good uh, documentary I've watched. I think I've watched both parts. It was um, I know that voice. It's based off the world of voice acting, mm-hmm. um, and I got this well, I got to hear the story behind Mel. I believe it was Mel. Brooks, not Mel Brooks. Mel Mel Banks. Banks.
0: Yeah, Mel yeah. Banks.
1: Yep. Yeah, the guy who did all of the Looney Tunes yep. uh, characters, all of them. And what what uh, he had an accident one time where he was left paralyzed for a while, or no, I'm sorry, he was in a coma, and in order to get him out of a coma, what they did was they started talking to the cartoon characters to him. And that's what woke him up because he started speaking in Bugs Bunny and, and Daffy and, oh, wow. and all those characters. And they got him out. of. They, that's how they woke him up. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And it was like, you got to be kidding me. And that's how they woke him up. And that's how he was able to go back to work again. I was oh, wow. like, okay. Yeah. yeah i
0: didn't know that that's an interesting story that's cool
1: yeah yeah, so yeah. what uh, I mean,
0: what got you into wanting to be
1: a voiceover artist pure 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 dumb luck um and the reason i say that is because i answered an ad on craigslist of all places <laughs> and and on craig i was it was late at night it was back in 2016 yeah it was back in 2016 or was it yeah 2016 2017 and um I was, uh, I just wanted something to do. And this was late at night, right before I was about to go to work the next day. And they said they were, they needed hand models for, um, a construction commercial. They needed like worker hands. And I thought I had, you know, pretty decent hands and stuff like that. And they like, we'll pay $250. If you show your hands out 250 bucks, Hey, give it to me. All right. Yeah. And, uh, I took a picture of my hands, sent them you know, my information. So they said, well, come, you know, meet us at this office. It's here in Chicago. The name of the production company was uh, Original Six Media Group. And it was ran by a woman. Forgive me, I don't know her name anymore. But it was her production company. It was legit. Everything was above board. And she did children's books. Don't know if she still does them now, but she did children's books as well. So she's very successful in her own lane, independent and uh she was shooting uh, they were shooting a commercial for this uh Alpha Snap off knife cut off knife I didn't know that at the time cuz I go to the office and I'm just thinking they're going to take pictures of my hands I'm going to get the money and I go to the office and they're like they they take a look at me and they're like forget the hands here try on some of these construction worker clothes and I'm like man where's the money at you know I'm just <laughs> I have a one track mind I'm just like Dude, pay me the bread so I can get out of here. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And they, they, they get me on camera and they have me read the lines. And I'm like, this doesn't have a damn thing to do with my hands. And you know, they, they, like, they're like, well, can you do it in a deeper voice? I was like, okay, over oh snap off night, you know, or whatever like that. And then they, they had me run through the lines, and I for sure thought I wasn't going to get it. My love, I literally thought I wasn't going to get it because. Uh, there was this one part they kept asking me to repeat, repeat, repeat. And I'm terrified of remembering lines. I just, I hate it. And they ran me through it and they said, okay, we'll give you a call on that Friday. And I'm thinking that's the last I'm hearing of them. Or if I do, they're going to tell me they're going in another direction. Well, that's usually the case. um, Yeah, they're like, hey, yeah, yeah. we'll we'll call you. We'll call you. And it's like, okay, sure. Let's do lunch. Right, (laughs) right, right you know, the whole nine. And I'm just like, okay, that, that was a cool experience. And I, as much as I hate to admit it, I was, I actually enjoyed it. Uh, and well, I don't hate to admit it, but uh, <laughs> I I got the phone call and it was like, listen, we we want you. Can you get off on this Thursday or can you get off on this Thursday or Friday? And I was just like, uh yeah, sure. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, they're going to change their mind. I'm still kind of skeptic. Mm-hmm. And I end up, getting the commercial. It literally turns out to be an eight hour day. I do the commercial and it gets produced. And um, while I was shooting the commercial, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I I loved every minute of it. I had my own chair. I had a makeup artist. Every (laughs) time I started sweating off the makeup, they would touch me up. and you get a little spoiled. Yeah. You get a little spoiled, man. You're like, ooh, I could get used. This is all right. Hey. You know, so you're you're doing it, and then the commercial comes out. And I showed it to my the I think the first few people I showed it to was, was just my immediate family. My mom and my dad saw it, you know, and my mom, you know, you know your parents are always proud of you, you I'm know, right. and stuff like that. But they were really proud of me. And my dad was like, Man, you really got something going. You're gonna do this for real. And I was like, I don't know. I just, you know, and I showed my brother, who is a working actor. He's out in California right now with his wife. They've been out there for a few years now. And uh I mean, he's been going at it a lot, a lot longer in this business than I have. I mean, I think he's put close to 20 years into it. Uh, went to school for it in the whole nine, you know, segue into that. But uh, you know, he saw the commercial and I and I really do respect and trust his opinion. Um, he basically said, You gotta do this. You know, he just basically said, Yo, you you gotta do this. You gotta you we're going to get you we're going to we're going to sort this out we're going to i'm going to help you out so he got me in contact with his old agency who i'm with now mm-hmm. and i've been with him ever since and you know when i went to the agency i was still kind of skeptic i was still kind of like ah this is this is this is nothing this is gonna this is gonna die out soon and i go meet the guy i go meet uh my agent brett seacrest nice guy great guy uh, you know, he basically sat me down and I thought I was getting the Hollywood talk in the beginning, you know, like, I think I can get you some work. I think I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. The last guy said that yeah. um, I'll make you famous. You know, just, don't worry. Right. Right. I'm going to make you a star, yeah. you know, yeah. or something like, you know, he, he didn't say that to me, thankfully, but you know, it was just, I felt it like it was along those lines. I was like, don't believe the hype. And within I want to say within after the time I got signed, because it was a commercial that got me in the door because they don't just take anyone off the street. Uh, you know, he said, I saw your commercial. I think you got, I think you got some skills and I would like to, you know, represent you and get you out there. And, uh, I said, you know what? All right, let me, so I signed with them and, uh, and he got me an audition. I want to say after maybe some time after the first week and I was just like, that's when it hit me. I was like, "Okay, these guys aren't playing. These guys are." He was serious, so I, I started looking at seriously. I, I auditioned for the commercial, a, a uh, Northwestern Medicine commercial, and of course, there were other people in line for the for the you know for the position and stuff like that for the role or for the you know for the job or whatever. And uh, and next thing I know, I'm at the uh, and God bless them, they had to shut down due to the pandemic, but the Chicago Recording Company. Uh, which is on Ohio Street uh, in the Loop. Uh, I want to say, yeah, you know, going, well, West Loop almost damn near, but they had to close it down. And a lot of music artists like Lupe Fiasco, uh, even um, Chance the Rapper, I got a chance to see him in passing. I didn't get a chance to shake hands with him or anything, but Mm -hmm. uh, he had recorded there along with a few other, you know, local, you know, Chicago, Midwest uh, Chicago artists that recorded there and had a lot of history there. And I was blessed to have done more than one voiceover gig there. Uh, I was even blessed enough a uh, few—I uh, want to say—three years earlier to when I took some uh, advanced voiceover courses uh, with this one, with this one guy who, who my teacher. He actually was represent. We were both under the same agency, uh, but he was also my teacher for the uh, class at the Chicago Actors Studio. So that, I thought that was. Uh, pretty cool deal and we got to work in a booth and we got to work with all this kind of um readings and stuff like that and you know and how you set it up and and you know the stuff i didn't know going into it because i was still kind of i was still brand new i was still fresh at the time so i felt like there was things i needed to get down when i go in that booth and not just you know using one range of voice because i know that that would die out as it did uh, and, and getting more range, getting more, you know, different dialect, knowing, you know, those certain inflections and how to create characters and stuff like that. So that, you know, just adding that into my repertoire, you know? So, yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, last question for you, Jason. Uh, social media or anything like that that you want to, like, shout out if people want to track you down or follow you?
1: Um, you know what? Uh, if, you, if, if anyone's looking for me to do a voice for them, uh, just contact me at jhenry79 at live dot com. Uh, my Instagram page is jhenny uh, j period h e n n y. Just to reach out to me uh, if you need me to do any voiceover work for you, or if you're looking for my kind of voice, uh, you know, uh, just you know, hit me up. Uh, I'm always open to do you know voiceover work, and I and I mean, as far as with prices, we can. You know, we can always uh, negotiate with that.
0: When it sounds like you got a pretty decent studio there at home, is—is uh, is that uh, what you're what we're speaking um, on, or?
1: Uh, actually, no. You just have me on my phone right now. Oh, really? My, uh, my yeah, my, I, I do have a home studio. Okay. Uh, that you know was given to me for a Christmas present from my parents. I love them for that. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, nice. But. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So that that was a big, that's that's the best present of person. That's the biggest toy I need right now. That's that's my hobby. That's I got a career. text
0: message from mine. Happy Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yeah, thanks. I hear you, man. Um yeah, uh, yeah cuz I've had to uh, talk to a few people that have dialed in from their phone and it usually sounds like crap. So I I would not have thought you were on your phone at the moment. I good con- good,
1: that. good connection.
0: You. Yeah, well, there you go, audience. Uh, If you need a kind of got that nice, deep, uh, burly sounding voice, Jason Henry (laughs) is the way
1: to go. All right. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. On the 80s and 90s Uncensored, listen to card-carrying Gen Xers, Milo and Jamie, as we banter, debate, and discuss various topics about the 80s and 90s. If you're a miserable middle-aged office worker and your life sucks and essentially you don't have anything to look forward to, at least one day a week you have the 80s and 90s Uncensored. We try to decide if Magnum and MacGyver were in a cage match, who would walk out? We discuss if the problems between the left and the right can be attributed to those who watched Saved by the Bell and those who didn't. We have the ultimate smackdown between Voyager versus Deep Space Nine. And a lot of talk about movies and music from the era. So flashback with us by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast to enjoy a new episode of the 80s and 90s uncensored every Monday.